We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 41. As you can probably tell by now, unfortunately, yes, it's me, Adam Paris, and I've returned. So the hooligans are no longer uh, running the asylum. Um, Riley and Kyle uh, did an excellent job filling in while I was out doing some life stuff, uh, whether it be getting married, going to another mar- uh, another wedding, or going on my honeymoon. But I really enjoyed all the segments that they filled in particularly the uh, fountain pen review was something that I found to be incredibly, incredibly riveting, and I hope it's going to be a staple for weeks to come. So, Riley and Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. Unfortunately, in the weeks that you've been gone, I have not been able to hook up with any of the various pen, fountain pen websites to get us any sort of podcast codes. So sorry, everybody, but I can put a plug in. If you do listen to any of the other num- numerous fountain pen podcasts, they do all have codes for uh, percentages off of your first purchases. So keep a lookout for that if you're interested in fountain pens, people. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a fountain pen podcast. So. Oh yeah. Oh, we can we can go real deep. Not <laughs> I learned week, something but... <laughs> new today. I learned something new. Otherwise, things are good. Damn. Thank, thank God. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was really impressed that that came up, uh, Riley, and that you had such an enthusiasm for it. I honestly had no idea, and I didn't know that that was a, a niche group on the internet or the world at large, but I was impressed with the the depth of your knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a chump when it comes to knowing anything about these things, and at, at, I believe after the first podcast when we brought it up, Kyle, right after we got done recording, he was like, dude, I was looking at some of the prices for these, and they're insane. Like, you can get up to, like, the thousands of dollars if you get silly with it, uh, and I, I believe the, the biggest one you could go for, if I want to do a quick plug here, thepenaddict.com, I would suggest that they got both the articles and the podcast, so... Uh, we, we no longer, for, for the rest of 2019, 2020, really need to talk about fountain pens. But uh, as one last bon voyage, I would say penaddict.com. Go for it if you're interested. Yeah, you say this like we're not going to randomly plug it in at various points of the season. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, please also let us know if there's any sort of seismic shift. Maybe if like a really huge one comes out or if like the efficiency of ink to page somehow meets like a huge breaking point or they introduce analytics to it. Please let us know if some of that stuff comes out. Yeah. I I would love if they did some sort of like MBA branded fountain pens. I really don't see that happening. Like the, they uh, did some recent ones for like star Wars and game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. They have yet to make it over to, uh, to NBA teams because I'm going to guess if you put out a Venn diagram of NBA fans and fountain pen people, the the crossover would be as slim of a slice of the two uh, circles coming together as you could imagine. But if something does come out that uh, would be worthy of making another segment of the fountain pen review, I will uh, definitely let you guys know. Fantastic. Well, someone who might be looking for a hobby in the meantime, well, he can't quite make it <laughs> transition. Is, uh, Chris Middleton, who and that is what we missed—the <laughs> perfect transition. <laughs> um, following, I think it was like basically in that Oklahoma City game. So right after you guys recorded last week, uh, you didn't get a chance, obviously, to talk about the injury because you had recorded before the game. But Chris Middleton, of course, 
left that game with what it turns out was a thigh left thigh contusion, which took me a while to remember, but that was the same leg where he ripped the hamstring off the bone um, a couple years ago. So he's out three to four weeks now. And of course the big story among all Bucks fans is who's going to replace him. Who's going to step up. I think we all knew it was going to be Dante DiVincenzo in this, uh, in this realm. But uh, it, it really does seem, at least in the first couple games, early returns, it's going to be sort of a, a committee, which I think we all could have presumed coming in, Riley. Yeah, I think what's difficult about missing Chris, and this is what makes it so much fun to debate whether or not Chris sucks or Chris doesn't suck. It's like he, because he's not the flashiest player, it's difficult for us from the outside to really quantify like, yes, he's a good shooter. So that adds spacing to the floor. Yes, he's efficient, like relatively efficient in the mid range. So that's kind of a unique take versus the other players on the floor. And so the difficulty with when Chris goes down is even though it doesn't seem like obvious to us from the outside, that's a guy who had 23.5% usage rate and last year was like 25%. So while it's not as high as someone like Giannis, for example, that's still a large chunk of usage you have to fill up with. And so the idea is like, there's nobody on the roster, obviously who's going to be able to outpace what he does. So is there anybody on the roster who can even like, fill in the gap and i really don't think that's the case there's probably more so i agree it was going to end up being a committee situation i thought maybe they were going to go big and put ursan or go small i should say and put ursan out there and keep Giannis as the center but i guess it doesn't really make sense with brooke lopez either um so yeah i think by committee and dante didn't have a really great first start to his career against the bulls but he did a lot better against the pacers which we'll talk about later um but yeah, I don't I don't know if there was ever anybody who was an obvious replacement, which is why the Bucks decided to pay Chris to come back because he's an important guy to the roster, who would ever have guessed. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point in that there probably was some chatter and thought that they might go big with it in the starting lineup, especially given Mike Budenholzer's uh, proclivity to do that a little bit last year, especially when he had Miritich at his disposal. But it seems like to this point, Kyle, He's really leaning on that that deep guard rotation that he has, whether it's Wes Matthews, Dante DiVincenzo, Sterling Brown, uh, Kyle Korver. And it, but it really does seem like in the early going, Sterling Brown and Dante DiVincenzo seem like the biggest beneficiaries. Yeah, just because we were saying it was going to be tough to find playing time for Sterling and Dante with the rotation that they already had. And then you have Pat Connaughton, who had a good start to the season, and he was getting playing time. And it seems like lately, and especially with Dante, that has been him and Sterling getting the majority of the minutes. Pat Connaughton gets some spot minutes. Kyle Korver, again, getting his 10 to 15 minutes per game, which is probably the best situation. Um, but I think it's also important that not only have they both gotten the playing time, but they played really well with set playing time, uh, especially the last few games for Dante, other than the Chicago game, he's been getting at least 14 points, been shooting the ball well. Uh, Sterling Brown is skying in for rebounds, and I know Riley had the poll of who would you rather have rebounding or something. It was Sterling or Dante, and I would not want to try and box up Sterling Brown at all because I think he would just roll me over. So, um, But I think it's just the confidence that they're both playing with. It's kind of hard to replace Chris Middleton's skill set. So just having – because he's just able, he's such a good playmaker, he's a good shooter, he's a good offense player, that he it's not really something that you can easily replicate. And it's kind of like the same with a certain player who shall not be named, is you can you can replace that skill set with a variety of players, 
And it's just that this time, the two players are Dante and Sterling at his paying dividends. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested, Riley, especially in the early going of this year. The Bucks have bumped up to the fastest-paced team in the league, which I wasn't – I mean, they were in the, near the top five almost all of last year, but they certainly didn't reach the top. And it's actually pretty funny. If you look at the top teams in terms of pace, almost all of them, uh, like the top ten, all have – basically most of them have negative net ratings, I think, besides like the Rockets. But uh, to this point, I'm curious if – if the pace might pick up a little because Chris Middleton certainly isn't known for his, his running and gunning in transition, nor his uh, ability to necessarily shoot real quickly on possessions, unless it's one of his just pull up threes real quickly. So I'm curious to see if the pace might even increase in some of the weeks ahead. Yeah, I suppose I'm curious and I would have to, I didn't look at what the apologies, everybody. I did not look at what the pace adjusted numbers were or what the pace was for the Bulls and the Pacers games uh, in particular. But I, I suppose theoretically that makes sense that the pace would increase, though, for both Dante, I mean, Dante in the first game and Sterling a little bit, whoever's filling in. It seems like maybe having them, the way that they're playing with the starters is a little bit different from the role they've been playing with the subunits where it's like, okay, you guys are the energy guys and part of being an energy guy is playing with a lot of pace. And now, obviously, there's a positive in that both Dante and Sterling and a lot of the other guys that could fill in are probably a lot more willing or a lot more able to kind of they themselves start a fast break, for example, and that increases things and Chris is like a willing shooter, but he's more of a willing shooter insofar as you get it to him like in the high post and he's going to dribble around a little bit and then <laughs> then shoot it after it gets, you know, whatever the mismatch that he's looking for. So, yeah, it wouldn't be surprising if the pace increases a little bit. And even if that's just because you're going to see the other guys, like whether it be Brooke Lopez and Wes Matthews, who are the quote unquote established starters and their roles are just like, just take the three. And Brooke, especially, I, I would be interested to see at what point in the shot clock a lot of his threes come, for example. But I think if you're expecting these guys to kind of come in and then radically increase the pace, I'm not sure if that'll work out because I think they're going to be more than like even West, the fifth starter. And they're kind of like the do everything. Maybe you're not going to be the main option in the offense. We're going to these four other guys instead. So that would be kind of the way I'd look at it. But if it did increase a little bit, it wouldn't be that surprising either. I think one of the other things that's certainly worth talking about is we talk about all we talk about Wes Matthews, we talk about Kyle Corver, Pat Connaughton, all these guys. But another guy who really can step up in terms of scoring and certainly has in the last couple of games is Eric Bledsoe. And if he's given a little more room and, and latitude and having to take a little bit more ownership over this offense, I think Kyle, he's a guy who in particular could really bump up some of his scoring and, and his usage in these next few games while Chris Middleton's still out too. Yeah, and he's been on a tear scoring 20-plus points the last, I think, like five or six games, and I don't know if he got that last night. I'd have to double-check. But a lot of the issues that Eric Bledsoe had at the beginning of the year was he wasn't getting aggressive, he wasn't driving to the hoop, and that's changed lately, especially against the Bulls, where him and Giannis were just getting bucket after bucket after bucket in the paint, and it continued last night where he wasn't getting as many of those layups to fall, but he was still getting to the basket, and I think that's going to be – that's just what – I, when he's at his best is when he's able to get that dribble penetration. And even if he doesn't get the layup, it still has the defense sink in, which allows, you know, Dante or Sterling or Brooke or Ursan when they're in, like you, you give those shooters a chance and defensively he's still, I don't think he's been at his first team all defense best yet, but he seems to have gotten a little bit better. He's able to move and fight through screens better. So I think Eric Bledsoe, this is, 
why, you know, when you re-signed Eric Bledsoe, you kind of have this hope that he could pick up the slack when Chris Middleton were to go down, or he can be, you know, that number two option for Giannis. And so far he's been showing that pretty well. And it feels like his shot selection, he hasn't, he'll take the three if he's open, but every time he gets the ball, he's going straight to the hoop. And that's a promising sign. The other thing I would just real quick jump in. My my only concern with Eric, and he's been able to prove it to be not a big deal so far through these two games that we've missed Chris is the issue as we've talked about copiously last season and this season as well is in order to really perform well, Giannis you can assume is going to play really, really well. And then you hope that either one or both on the rare nights that it does happen that Chris and Eric also play well. And so through two games, it's been okay. But I'm curious, like, as much of a tear as Eric has been on, when does he have a game that's kind of a clunker? And then we'll kind of get an idea for, like, okay, who else is really going to fill in a more important role? Because I think that's instructive not only in the short term to say, okay, is Wes able to get out of the shooting something he's kind of been in early in the season? Is Dante somebody we can actually trust in a more, you know, more important role as the season goes along or even in the postseason? So, I think even if Eric does have a letdown here or there, it's not the end of the world just because that's more instructive for the coaching staff and for us looking from the outside to say, okay, you obviously can't operate with just two guys like Eric and Yance where it's like a lot of driving in and, you know, the occasional three-pointer. Here's a different way we can kind of attack if we don't have Chris or if Chris is having an off series like he did against the Raptors, for example. So that's another angle that I'm kind of looking at as uh, this Chris Middleton injury works out. I think it's a really excellent point, too, especially when you think about the idea that this team is shooting more threes this year. It seems like the offense, due to that, is could be in part um, facing a lot more fluctuation from night to night. The variance is going to be a lot higher when you're shooting more threes. And so uh, given that, you want more guys who are going to be able to play consistently. You want more guys who, if someone's having an off night from three, is going to be able to still pick up the slack and score consistently. And so you're, you're totally right that it's going to be really interesting to see who's able to try and fill in that gap. If, if Eric Bledsoe's having a tough night, is Brook Lopez going to be able to make his shots at night or potentially go inside and get some consistent scoring going for them? If the whole bench is just rickety the whole night, George Hill looks old and Robin Lopez, God bless him, is still missing every single shot, who is going to be able to, from that group of shooting guards, emerge and, and see if they're able to fill in the gap that that Chris would fill in pretty consistently. And the other thing, obviously, you know, it probably, they won't shoot this poorly, I think for the entire time Chris is out quite obviously from deep, but I don't think it's any uh, coincidence, Kyle, that the last two games, the Bucks have been 18.2% and 28.2% from three without Chris Middleton out there shooting as usual, like three for seven or whatever. Yeah. It, it's kind of weird just because yes, Chris Middleton is a good shooter, but it's not like they went from Chris Middleton shooting threes to Robin Lopez shooting threes or Chris Middleton yeah. shooting threes to Frank Mason. Like they're still putting competent <laughs> shooters on the floor and how they are just missing shot after shot. I don't know. And I will say for the Indiana game, I think there is two or three that Kyle Corver had near the end of, I think it was either second quarter and he just fired like two back to back, like right away. It was like trying to get it off before the buzzer. It was so, you know, it's kind of weird when, those two shots that contributes to the low percentage, but I don't know what's going on with Milwaukee shooting. It's, I mean, it hasn't been great all year or if it has, it's only been great for a half, but you know, I think that's also a sign. I think that's the biggest sign that Brooke Lopez in particular has been struggling because 
you know, if Brooke is getting back to his shooting percentages last year, I don't think Milwaukee's shooting 18, 20 something percent is maybe in the thirties. And it's all, this is kind of ironic with Giannis also shooting more threes, but he's hitting more threes as well. So I don't know why Milwaukee's three point shooting has suddenly become Philadelphia esque, but it's, I don't think that's a trend that's going to continue. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I was looking up some numbers for the article that I'm writing for tomorrow morning. And so far, they've shot as a team 33.3%, which I think is 19th in the league. So they are below average shooting. But like you said, Kyle, given the roster, at least for a lot of the guys, and you even have standouts like Dante, he's shooting over 40% from three, which is a huge feather in the cap for Adam. (laughs) And I, I didn't look up Sterling's number, but I think Sterling's been pretty good, especially like from the corners, for example. So I think it's more so what we're seeing right now is something that I think Rockets fans, for example, have been used to where it's like, if you're going to live and die by the three, even if you have theoretically good three point shooters, the nature of the shot, unless you have a guy like, for example, Chris Middleton, who's shooting also almost 40% from three, or you have a guy like Kyle Korver, who his entire reason for being on this team literally is just to shoot threes because he's a traffic cone on the other end of the floor. And so we just kind of have to get used to at least probably for the regular season, these really long droughts where it's like, you'll have a first half where you go 15 for 24 from three and then you go two for 20 in the second half, for example. And as frustrating as that is, that's just kind of the offense by design. And that's probably what the bucks are going to roll with throughout the regular season because bud kind of picks his system and goes for it. The curious question will be, will they use like these three weeks to figure out some different folds? Like for example, there was the Houston game where it's like, okay, Brooke Lopez, you're going to go down the paint and you're just going to score over and over again. Are we going to be able to see slightly different moments where it's like, okay, the three pointer isn't working. And I think you could even see in the bulls game, for example, the three pointer wasn't working at all. They <laughs> shot six for 33. I mean, there was like, I had the live tracker going for what the three point percentage was. And it was getting like to 15%. And yet, it was like, okay, well, they don't have a single guy who can stop Giannis offensively, so Giannis just go for it. Like, are we going to be able to see more moments like that? And if that's the case, then I'm not going to be too worried about the below-average three-point shooting because I think we have proven shooters on the roster who will eventually round into form or somebody else will get a shot to kind of see if they can do better. Yeah, I think that's a good good opportunity to transition into looking at the games uh, from this past week, and then also sort of analyzing it through this end lens we've already been talking about via who will replace Chris Middleton. So on Thursday, Bucks have a pretty light week this week. Uh, they On Thursday, they had a 124-115 victory over the Chicago Bulls. Giannis went off, 38 points, 15 rebounds. Eric Bledsoe as well. I think he was a perfect 12 for 12 or 11 for 11 from inside the arc. 31 points, 8 assists. Like you alluded to, Riley, uh, just 18.2% from deep for Milwaukee in that game. Sort of reverted back to what they did a lot last year and destroyed the Chicago Bulls in the paint, 70 to 32. Uh, adios to Lori Markkinen's ring protection numbers. So, <laughs> if they were there in the first place, but no. they were not there. <laughs> they were not, no. Uh, it was clearly a concerted effort by the Bucs. It felt, it felt the most to me like a glimpse at what we we saw last year, Kyle, where the Bucks recognize the three-point shot isn't falling and they're able to still destroy a team inside. We saw that plenty of times last year, but a lot of the narrative to start this year has been the fewer number of shots at the rim they've got, certainly related to he who must not be named. But in this game, they finally were able to find a way to destroy a team in the paint. 
Well, and it was kind of funny because you would think with how poor Milwaukee was shooting, it's like, okay, they will turn it around. They'll turn it around. The shooting will improve. The shooting will improve. And at the same time, Chicago is shooting lights out. And you're thinking, that's going to go down. That's also going to go down. And it's and I think Kobe White in particular was hitting, what, five or six threes in the first half. And you're like, it's going to be one of those games. But I, it's good to see that Milwaukee was able to realize we have two of the best rim penetrators in the league. Let's use that to our advantage and just let Giannis and Eric and, you know, Chicago had no chance, whether it was in transition or just in general, you know, it seemed like the bulls were attempting to just not let Milwaukee. Cause last year, Milwaukee had gotten into a hole against the bulls and Milwaukee just bombarded them from three. And that's how they made their comeback. And this year, it wasn't, I mean, it was never, you know, a blowout or down 15. They were always just like just behind them. And they just went, okay, we'll just get two points every time. And if you consistently get two points, you're going to at least make up the margin at some point. Chicago wasn't going to hit shots, but I think it was just that combination of Giannis and Eric being at their best. And then everyone else kind of just being off to the side and letting them, you know, hitting, hitting shots when they need to, contributing when they need to, but just letting those two do whatever they want. Gentlemen, I think that's the kind of game that wins you championships. If you're going to be looking back on the season, you're going to say that's where the Bucks turned it around. <laughs> um, this probably is not old school '90s basketball. It's fine. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, I would say I would agree with a lot of Kyle's points. I think it's what really is at the heart of the game is the Bucks are in inherently more talented team, and they're an inherently better coached team. And so really the only thing that I came away with uh, is positive vibes that they were actually able to prove to themselves, or at least Giannis and Eric were able to prove to themselves that it's like, we don't need to rely exclusively on the three. Like it's not going to be like the Houston Rockets where it's like 53s aren't gone. You know what? We're going to take another 50 and we're going to see if it works this time. So uh, really the only things I came away with, as like lessons from that game were the idea that they have the ability to score inside, which they've kind of gone away from early in the season, but it looks like they're kind of, at least for that game and a little bit in the Pacers game as well, they kind of went back to it a little bit, which is necessary without Chris. And I want to give a huge shout out to Eric because he got all the Bulls players panties in a bunch by doing the buzzer beating dunk at the very end of the game. Uh, And so furthers the rivalry and makes the Bulls feel even worse because they will have a chance to be one of the worst teams in the league yet again. So that's, that was I really, thought, but go for it. Oh, I was going to say, I thought it was hilarious when he did that dunk. And then I think it was a couple days later, you saw the college kid from Monmouth just steal <laughs> yes. the ball and dunk it on Kansas when he's down like 50. It's like, you know what? Get your baskets however you can, because at the end of the day, you know, those those two points might be the difference in, you know, a salary or paycheck or I mean, in the case of Monmouth, just, hey, you got a sports Pride. center and you can and you can show off. So I had no issue with it. If Boylan wanted to get that mad then have a better team, be a better coach. I don't think that's possible to be a better coach for him, but try better. Yeah, Boylan had that interesting strategy on the bro- on the broadcast. You could hear him say, "Keep shouting like, let him play, let him play, let him play." To the refs, and the Bucks broadcast was talking about that quite a bit. And I think the refs have so much disdain for uh, Boylan over Boylan that 
Um, they uh, let the Bucks shoot 47 free throws that night. The most they have shot, the most they shot last year was 43. But 47 is an insane amount of free throws to be taking in a game. So clearly they didn't take that to heart. And um, I, I appreciate you calling that out, Riley, because I, I don't know if there's anyone who has quite the level of uh, of disdain and uh, amount of insults that you do for the, the Chicago Bulls. I, I'm constantly in awe and, and so respectful of you for that. Here's the issue. Okay. So, I mean, obviously everybody, for me, and I think for a lot of people who grew up in the Southeast Wisconsin area, like for me, the bigger rivalry was always Chicago sports versus like Minnesota sports. And so I had that going. I'm originally from the Chicago area. So part of it is also probably self-loathing as well, deep down inside, if we wanted to go for like psychoanalysis. And then the third point was when I went to college, there was a couple of people I knew who were big Chicago Bulls fans. And this was like at the tail end of the D Rose, Joakim Noah era. I mean, they just could. I remember very vividly the, uh, which it was like a regular season game where Derrick Rose beat the Bucks on a buzzer beater or whatever. I remember that very vividly, uh, being quite painful because then I had to hear all the herbs at the U talking about how great the Bulls are, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, it's a very long path to where I got to. And I think it's, it's cosmic, uh, karma, almost the fact that I'm now able to strut and prune and be a huge annoying whatever about everything because the bulls suck right now and it looks like they're going to continue to suck and i'm going to enjoy every single moment of it even if it doesn't really matter that much because they're bad we're not bad and uh be more exciting if they were also not bad but i'll take w's however they come yeah it's especially true with living in southeast wisconsin area. you have a bigger rivalry with chicago because i can relate and when the bulls would play the bucks in milwaukee and this is when the bucks were just mediocre or bad it was is always, you know, 60, 70% Bulls fans in the Bradley Center. And that drove me insane just because it, it, it didn't feel like a home game. It felt like this was just another home. It was just another home game for Chicago. And it was frustrating because it's like, in kind of like what you said, Riley, with the Joakim Noah, Derek Rose era, especially, it was just they were unsufferable. They were unbearable. And it was always just frustrating just watching you know, the Bradley Center become the United Center in the North, and it it sucked. But now, you know, the tables have turned, and Bucks are better than the Bulls, and the Bulls, I mean, they have a few decent players, but their future nah. looks bleak, and nah. Kobe White's decent. Nah. Decent. He's a rookie. We'll see how, how decent that's why, he is That's next why I give year. him decent, because he's a rookie. You know, you have Lori <laughs> Markkinen, who everyone thought was going to be the next Dirk, and, and ugh, yikes, if, if you still think that. Yeah. Here's my last thing on the Bulls game because we probably don't need to talk about the Bulls much more past this. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my man's washed Wes Matthews. Uh, I mean, definitely one for five from three. I'm going to save it for the no, 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 no. This is good. This is good. No, this is a positive thing for Wes. I want to give a shout out for 13 free throw attempts. Went 10 to 13 from the free throw line. If you had asked me prior to the season if Wes would have had a single game with more than 10 free throw attempts, I would have said you're absolutely insane. So shout out to Wes even though you still can't make a three for your life uh, <laughs> to get to the rim as often as you did and draw fouls. Really impressive. So uh, good job, Wes. And we'll, we'll talk more about the Wes Watch segment later on. 
Oh, spitting that through gritted teeth was Riley <laughs> Feldman. Uh, yeah, that that game was actually kind of interesting because it seemed like Wes was doing a lot more of dive bombing to the rim, cutting. I haven't looked at some of those play tracking numbers, but he got a lot of those, it seemed like, on backdoor cuts or um, going from the the high post and just getting a pass from either Giannis or, or Bledsoe as he's cutting to the rim. So that might be an interesting thing to watch to see if that's able to get him going because God knows he isn't going from deep. The one last thing I want to talk about with the Bulls game is it does feel like this has been a little bit of a refrain, and without Chris Middleton, I think it's a little more of a moot point. But do we? Is it? Does it matter, Riley, that we need these almost like Herculean efforts from Giannis to beat a team that uh, we consider as dismal as the Chicago Bulls? I do not think so because we. I think it all ties back into the fact that three point shooting is inherently a streaky sort of thing and a fickle sort of beast. And so I'm not too concerned. What I take Giannis's Herculean performances as is he is personally upping his level. I'm not seeing it as like he's doing it. I don't know how to really word it because like there's a guy who's upping his level, like a Russell Westbrook when in the fading moments and OKC where it's like, the entire thing is designed around just getting this guy numbers. And while that's sort of also the case, just inherent with having a superstar, given the way that Giannis is passing the ball, given the way that he's taking threes, given, given all the things that he's doing, it feels in character different from something like a Westbrook situation in OKC where you're not looking at like, yes, we need these Herculean efforts to win, but it's not Herculean efforts just to get this guy stats and then we'll see if we win as well. It feels like he's still making the right decisions to try and get everybody else involved. And he just happens to also be scoring and rebounding at a crazy rate because he's playing at such a high level. So I'm not concerned about it. I think that's inherent in both the way they play and the fact that Chris isn't out there. And really it's just a positive because we see that they're still even somehow I can't even everybody I don't know how anybody can fathom it he still has another level to get through so I'm not concerned about it I actually enjoy it and I I welcome it so far uh as long as it's good now if this is the way every single game for the entire season maybe I'll be a little concerned but he's still only averaging like 32 minutes a game or whatever so uh he's putting up crazy numbers and pretty limited minutes and I'm just more impressed than I am concerned yeah and I was gonna say it'd be one thing if he was having a just drag Milwaukee kind of like what he did in the playoffs. I think it was 2016 against Toronto. Maybe one thing if he had to do every single thing, but he's had Eric Bledsoe help out. And when you're able to just get to the rim with the ease that he was able to, it doesn't really feel Herculean. It just feels like, okay, this is a really good player that's getting really easy chances without having to, it didn't seem like he was putting in that much more energy. Now, maybe on the defensive side, it might seem a little bit more Herculean, but at least offensively in that Chicago game, it was like, I, oh, you're going to give me this open lane to dunk it on you. Yeah, I'll take it. Sure. And that was it. It hasn't even like felt like super crazy for him on the defensive end. Like I obviously I think his block numbers are about the same as last year, but I would say more so I'm impressed with what he's doing on offense. Like obviously he's still an impressive defensive player, but I don't have as many signature like, oh, oh my God, look at Giannis shut that guy down or look at Giannis completely deny that guy as we did last season. So it's not even like defensively. It's like, oh my God, this guy's a complete game stopper every single possession down. So and I think that's still able to come and will come as the season goes along. But more so I've been you know, shocked with what he's done offensively, but I'm sure defensively he'll continue to come around and also shock eventually as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And even if 
I mean, he's. I don't think he's ever going to hit triples, and I kind of get sick of the Giannis triple watch. What if he, what if he gets a three-point jumper? I mean, he's probably going to be around like 30% if he's at that for the rest of his career. That's pretty good. But even just the fact that he looks more comfortable just shooting three or four a game, it just feels a lot more in the rhythm of the offense. I think that's helped his entire offensive game seem a lot more rhythmic and in balance because that was really the hitch where he might get a pass and he can't decide should he shoot, should he pass, should he take this triple, should he not? That was really where the hesitation came from, and it doesn't seem like he has any of that this year. Yeah, I would like to imagine one of two things happen with his three-point shot. Either one, he listened to our podcast, which if you do Giannis, shout out, and he heard my rant about how unimportant his three-point shot is and is like, you know what, I'm going to stuff this dude in a trash can, so I'll take that. Or two, we're sacrificing the soul of Wesley Matthews so that his previous three-point shooting can be transferred into Giannis's body, both of which seem pretty plausible and I'm willing to accept either. <laughs> okay. but <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, let's talk about the other game that the uh, Milwaukee Bucks played uh, devoid of the uh, horrific narrative. Thankfully we were spared of all the Malcolm Brogdon talk. I couldn't, I can't remember if they cut to him or if he was on the bench with Indiana or not. Nope. They did not happen. Oh, Did thank, not happen. thank God. Okay. Well, the Bucks win uh, 102 to 83, a complete route. Uh, thank you to Kyle. I just want to pass it over to you for um, bringing the delightful Disney tweets to life on a night that could have been insufferable. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to Mike because when I was going to tweet, I was binging on D- Disney Plus and Mike, like, I expect Disney references throughout the night. And I was like, okay, I can give it a shot. And at first I was like, I don't know if I should do gifts. I don't know if I should do quotes. Like, how am I going to do this? And then it kind of just became pretty natural at the end. And I think I'm most impressed that I didn't really repeat movies too many times. I think I had two Emperor's New Groove uh, mentions, which I would call a win. So, And I was able to incorporate some of the older stuff, like Oliver and Company, which, again, it was fun. And thankfully, no Brogdon made the game much easier to watch and tweet through. One of the incredible things to me was the fact that there was only 16 free throws between both teams. Makes the game go incredibly quickly. But similar to the Chicago game, Bucks shoot just 11 for 39 from three, 28.2%. And once again, Riley, they dominated in the paint 56 to 26 over Indiana, which is pretty incredible considering Indiana has Miles Turner at the rim. Yeah, that is pretty incredible. I think it was probably more so... I mean, they had like 4.3 dudes they could run out there. Like, if you oh, saw yeah. the, the the injury report for Indiana, I mean, it was. I swear, Jimmy Chitwood was sitting on the bench ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was not not great options for Coach Nate McMillan. No, I think it's you're right that it it's uh, impressive that they were able to do that again, especially because, like you said, they have Miles Turner and they also played Sabonis quite a few minutes just because they had to play both Turner and Sabonis together a lot. I think and it was probably, yeah, it, yeah. Go is is Goga Georgian? <laughs> I think they were talking on the broadcast about how he's a huge Zaza Pachulia fan, which I don't think I saw him try to undercut any sort of player, so that's good. <laughs> but uh, Zinger, heyo. Uh, um, <laughs> no, just looking at, I think it's as impressive as it was. I would probably put it more so to the fact that they had four dudes that they could roll with, and I, I think they played. Didn't they play Houston the night before as well? Like the yeah, yeah. So I, I think. While it is was a continuation of the trend that we had seen previously, like especially in the Bulls game, 
And it's good to see because we're going to need that heading forward. I'm not sure if I can point at this and say, oh, well, you know, if, if they got by Miles Turner, who is a good interior defender, then, you know, obviously the sky's the limit. I think it's probably more so a confluence of factors plus the fact that they're playing really well right now. So I'm not going to look at this and be like, well, the Indiana game was the one where we proved that we're a, a really tough interior out because I think that's our, always been latent and just the way that they're playing right now is showing up more so than usual. How dare you discount a win? where the opponent had TJ Warren and Aaron Holiday go a combined 11 for 39 from the field. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's uh, I I'm really putting like throwing dirt on everybody's effort that they put in both the your, your rapid recap Adam, your tweeting Kyle so <laughs> it is really rude of me to come in on this podcast and totally just uh kick dirt all over it, but I, I think uh once <laughs> once the Bucks got like a 10 point lead, I was like, "Okay, I can stop watching now because there's just Without he who shall not be named, and without Oladipo, and with the other sixty dudes on the roster totally injured, uh, it seemed like it was going to be an uphill climb. Plus, Doug McDermott minus twenty. When you're playing Doug McDermott for twenty minutes, it's usually probably not a good sign for your uh, chances to win a game. So, uh, when the game started with our Lord and Savior Dante Divincenzo stealing the ball from Dougie McBuckets, and um, I forget, well, he had one where he stole it and he had a layup, and then another one where he dunked right in Dougie McBuckets. Um, I lost my mind. I thought it was uh, incredible. I love to see Dante do stuff. And he had a good night, significant bounce back game from the Chicago game where he really seemed out of sorts. Had only four points in his first start, but against Indiana goes six for nine from the field, two for five from three. Still good to see that uh, 14 points. Giannis had 26 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, um, five turnovers as well. Eric Bledsoe finally kind of hit a skid with uh, 10 points five for 14 from the field. But Brooke Lopez looked really good out there. 15 points, five blocks. Uh, I I looked up the stats, Kyle. It looked like Indiana shot um, five of 19 at the rim against Milwaukee. Real tough sledding for them. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because Brooke Lopez was just dominant defensively. You mentioned the five blocks, but and a lot of that was even when Miles Turner was on the court and he kind of had to go out and kind of guard Miles Turner out from three and I did not realize this. Miles Turner has a lot of arc in his shot. Holy hell. Like that thing, that was a lot of arc. It, it reminded me of St. Louis a little bit. But the thing with Indiana was <laughs> with all the injuries, they kind of had to rely on their starters. I think all their starters played over 30 minutes. And it was, you know, especially in the second quarter, just offensively, it was ugly to watch for them because they didn't have, I think Sabonis had left the game momentarily with an injury. I think Turner was getting a break and you're kind of relying on Aaron holiday to be your lead guard. Sorry, Riley. I know you're a big fan of his, but yeah, he, he was, right. say it, say it. He was not good. He, uh. he was definitely not good. Um, <laughs> at all in any sort of way but <laughs> wow, keep going, keep going. and i feel bad because obviously again you, you he's being put in a position that he normally isn't like he's not going to be the starting point guard 99 percent of the time it's just with all the injuries that they had and you know indiana didn't go to their bench um you kind of mentioned Duncan mcdermott getting 20 minutes and that was higher than anyone else but i think it was also just the fact that you kind of looked at what milwaukee was able to do and in kind of the same thing with the Chicago game. They weren't shooting the ball particularly well, but they were, it seemed like when they hit the threes, they were at key moments. And in the third quarter, Sterling Brown had two corner threes, which effectively sealed the game more or less for Milwaukee. But it just seemed like their D 
defense, Milwaukee's defense in particular, really stood out. Dante getting a couple steals. Um, you know, Robin Lopez, as much as I give him crap, he was defensively really good. Um, Giannis and Brooke just being combined out there, causing havoc for other players. And he, you got like Pat Connaughton skying in from behind for blocks. You have, I mean, George Hills just being a little bit scrappy. He's just in a good position half the time defensively, just forcing Indiana, which didn't have either of their better players with the ball in Old Depot and Brogdon. And Milwaukee just took full advantage of that, putting more pressure on them and forcing them if they are going to get to the hoop. And then Brooke Lopez is there to block a shot. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the one positive that I could take away, and certainly part of this is the Bucks have a significantly better infrastructure with better players out there. But I would say Indiana, you know, with the when they have their players, I, I'd say a lot of people like some of their backup players. Some people like Justin Holiday. People like Aaron Holiday as well. And Aaron Holiday had a little too much to do in this game, but it's still heartening to see guys like Dante DiVincenzo and Sterling Brown play really well against guys who I would say are probably of similar quality as them. And part of that is, of course, that they're surrounded by Giannis and given more opportunity uh, to, to serve a more subservient role than having to take a huge chunk of the offensive brunt like Aaron Holiday. But still nice to see them show out and play well. Um, obviously, here's some analysis. Much more fun to have them score and shoot well than not shoot well and not score. So. Um, That's what that people nice tune to into see. the podcast for. That's the kind of <laughs> breakdown that people turn tune in for. Yes, yeah. You're well. I'm really glad I'm back. Um, <laughs> so, okay, now you guys have you guys both have your finger on the the pulse of of Bucks Twitter, and I would say conspiracies as well. Any, I didn't see the injury. Any uh, conspiratorial talk at all that Brogdon might have, you know, uh, elaborated the injury to get out of this game? I didn't see anything. Now. If he did do that, I want to say, Malcolm, how dare you? I've been <laughs> out here defending you for months now, and you're going to duck me when I need you the most? Like, this is going to be my moment when the Pacers going to lose by 10, but <laughs> Malcolm is going to put up, like, 30, 10, and 12. Feel like I was waiting for that. So I did not see any him milking the injury, but it would not shock me if he was like, you know what? I'm going to give those uh, those peasants over on Buck's Twitter because I know he, he's got to know about us. I'm going to give him a little bit of red meat, and I'm going to go down with a quote-unquote injury. And then everyone's going to be like, oh, he's such an injury risk. And then I'm going to go back out and put up some more triple-doubles. So that would be my conspiracy theorizing. That's my own. I've not seen anybody else go for it. Uh, I'm just more so disappointed because it would have been absolute chaos had he actually been playing. And had he, whether he had done well, whether he had done poorly, whatever it was, I mean, rest in peace, the Brew Hoop mentions, and thus Kyle's mentions had he played. I was just more so sad that he wasn't able to because uh, I think it would have been interesting, fun, and it would have given us another 45 minutes of content for this podcast. So we'll have to wait a couple of weeks before we're able to give it another try. I think it's December 22nd is when the next game is with that against the Pacers, I should say. I don't care if it was a conspiracy. <laughs> I don't care if he faked it. I had said last week, I don't want to tweet this game. I still ended up doing it. I didn't want to. And the second I found out he wasn't playing, I just thought, thank God I can just <laughs> enjoy this night. Because I don't know if I would still be able to tweet on the Brew Hoop account had he played. Because I would have gone after people. I had even muted the word Brogdon from my own timeline. So... I think it was if there was a conspiracy, I think he was a little bit hurt and pissed off about Giannis's comments about being ugly. 
And <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> here's the here's the thing about the ugly comments. I'm gonna assume that it came off different in like the actual live recording. I've never actually I've not gone and listened to it, but definitely just reading the words. It's not the most flattering quote I've ever seen Giannis give. It might be number two that <laughs> I am Giannis as the Toronto series was slipping through our grass, but uh, you know, for sure let's maybe being called ugly was something that Brogdon enjoyed and was genuinely really happy and funny for him. I can't imagine that was the case, but uh, we're going to have to wait for ugly bowl. That's going to have to wait for like a couple <laughs> to decide who gets the title, who gets the belt for that one. So it's really unfortunate. But yes, I know people were really excited to dunk on the Bucks ownership, dunk on Bucks fans or vice versa. Everyone justifying it. I <laughs> am just happy. I didn't, if, if it does happen, I'm going to make sure again, I stay off of Twitter because I just had a really good night and it was enjoyable and I didn't have to deal with it. And I've already given my stance on Brogdon and yeah, it was, it was good that he didn't play conspiracy or not. I don't care. Yeah. Go back to podcast. If you really want to, if you want to hear Kyle's unvarnished thoughts about the Malcolm Brogdon situation, go back to podcast and you'll get the full breakdown. Yes, please do uh, turn your volume down a little bit when you get to that part. <laughs> it certainly uh, is stretching the decibel level. Uh, but yeah, it got, course, a little, it got a little wild. Well, <laughs> thankfully, uh, there's the entire rest of Indiana season for Bucks Twitter to dunk on ownership. So we're going to go ahead and go into an ad break here. And on the other side, we'll be talking, doing some potpourri stuff, quick all-star look, check in, uh, check in so far around the 10-game 10, 10 mark. And then, uh, of course, rapid-fire questions are coming back. So stay tuned. And we're back. Riley, I'm going to let you kick this off. Uh, you tossed it out, maybe looking a little bit at Eric Bledsoe, his potential to become an all-star given his high level of play lately. So I'm going to let you sort of lead this session. Okay. So first off, I want to preface this by saying that these days I'm not nearly as much of a general NBAist as I used to be. I do not watch nearly as many games of the other teams. I try to kind of generally keep up with who's good, who's bad, etc. But kind of looking at the landscape i think it's interesting to kind of consider whether or not there's a chance that eric bledsoe gets an all-star nod this season especially because he's played so well these past couple you know week and a half two weeks or so after having a rough start to the year so first i want to lay out for everyone because it's it's a little wonky how the all uh, all-star voting works so first off there's the top five players for Western and Eastern Conference, and those are voted on by, I believe it's a combination of fan uh, fan votes, player votes, and media votes, I'm pretty sure. And so there's three front court players and two backcourt players. I do not anticipate Eric Bledsoe having a good enough season to be a starter, but then the reserves are picked where it's picked by the NBA coaches themselves, and it's three front court players, two backcourt players, and two wildcard players. So Real quick, I know this is really long to get there, but the guys who were reserves last year were Kyle Lowry, Victor Oladipo, Chris Middleton, Bradley Beal, Ben Simmons, Blake Griffin, Nikola Vucevic, and then D'Angelo Russell as a injury replacement for Victor Oladipo. And so looking at that group of players, I'm not sure. So like you have Victor, who's going to be out because of injury. Chris, probably not going to be back. I can't. I think he might have been a wild card pick. So he's not going to be back probably because of his injury as well. Ben Simmons sucks, but he'll probably get it anyhow because the narrative. Uh, <laughs> uh, D'Angelo Russell, obviously, in the uh, Western Conference now. And it should also be noted that Kawhi Leonard was a starter last year. Um, somebody else will fill in for him because he's also in the Western Conference. So that's – you can also say about Kyle Aubrey as well, but they're playing with pretty well. 
how many openings that is. It's probably like three or four openings that you have to get filled. And so I, I just think it's interesting looking at Eric's numbers. He doesn't have like the greatest per game numbers so far, I believe. Let me pull this up. Through 12 games, he's averaging 17 points a game. He's got 5.3 rebounds a game, 5.3 assists, which isn't really crazy, but Chris didn't have really crazy numbers last year and he got a nod as well. So do you guys... I know this is just kind of random to throw it out there, but do you think there's a possibility if that Eric could get in? Does he need to strengthen, like have a couple more weeks of good play, or do you see a world where that happens? Yeah, I can I can see Bledsoe getting it just because we mentioned the players that did get in ahead of him in terms of guard position. You had D'Angelo Russell, you had Bradley Bale, Ben Simmons, Victor Oladipo, Kyle Lowry, and yeah, we both agree Oladipo most likely won't get it because of injury. D'Angelo Russell is not in the conference and also because of injury. Um, Kyle Lowry, I think uh, Eric Bledsoe should have gotten an all-star spot over both Kyle Lowry and D'Angelo Russell in the first place. So if the if his play continues, you know, it doesn't have to be Chicago Bulls level of play. It could probably be the week prior during the Western Conference Road Trip where he's just getting, you know, a good 20-ish point, five-ish assists. I think he'll get it because if Milwaukee is to get if Milwaukee's going to get two spots like they did last year for being one of the better teams, it'll most likely go to Eric Bledsoe. And I don't know who else in terms of guards would be better. I, I assume Kyrie Irving's gonna get it. Kemba Walker, I, I think he, he's having a decent enough season, I suppose, but there's no one in the league right now that really stands out in terms of guards that I would be like, yes, I would one hundred percent put them ahead of Eric Bledsoe. Um and I think that's maybe Trey Young will get a consideration. Maybe Malcolm Brogdon will get it. You know, those are like Trey Young and Malcolm Brogdon, probably the only two guys that I could realistically see getting in ahead of Bledsoe along with Kyrie and Kemba. And that would probably just take the Victor Oladipo and D'Angelo Russell spots. Yeah, that's really my thing. I was thinking about those two, Trey Young especially. It seems like he's getting a lot of early season buzz. I think one of the issues with this is Eric Bledsoe, I think everyone's liked him. You know, he's played really well, but he's certainly in a, a secondary role. And I wouldn't say that his numbers are super gaudy. Whereas in the Eastern Conference, there's a lot of teams that suck, and there's a lot of there's like a lot of chance for one player on that team to just put up huge numbers. I mean, like Zach, Zach Levine shot terribly yeah. for the Bulls, but I mean he's going to put up huge numbers for them. Uh, there, and there's a lot of other teams near the bottom here. Uh, I mean, Bradley Beal, uh, I don't know. He might make it. if He'll like, probably get his spot back, yeah. 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 I, I think he'll We need to stop calling him. Ben Simmons a guard, though, because he's not a guard. I don't care if he has the ball. He's a point forward. Just, let's just call it what it is. He's a point forward that is afraid to shoot. Here's the rule. Here's the rule I think we should, we should institute going forward. If you don't make threes, you don't get votes. It's as simple as that. <laughs> and NBA, Adam Silver, there's a lot of influential people who I assume listen to this podcast. If you're listening, as I know you are, if they don't make threes, they don't get votes. Make it as simple as that. That's all I ask. I just had a conversation last night with my um, friend Quinn who unprompted said, you know who really bugs me is Ben Simmons. Uh, he, had, <laughs> he did the whole offseason, all these hype videos of threes, and now he's not shooting any. Um, so you can tell the, the Philly people are, are just as angry at, uh, at Ben Simmons. So it's nice to know there's a lot of hate to go around for him. Yeah, so I, I agree with – so getting off of Ben Simmons, because <laughs> this does not have to be a Ben Simmons-centric – 
I agree that there is. He just sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and close a book ending with that. I, I think for Eric, if he's going to get an All Star nod, it's going to really be built off of these next three weeks without Chris, because this is going to be the chance for him to really put up the numbers to help pad a little bit, and then even from there, because of his slow start to the year and the occasional, you know, game where he's going to have only like ten points, like versus the Pacers, for example. I don't see him as a lock as like instant reserve voted on by the coaches. I see it probably more so like you said, Kyle, it'd be a force of, we might have to try and get him in because the bucks are so good. They need two spots. And also it's probably more likely he's an injury replacement. I would guess like, I just don't see right now, just based on his per game numbers. And like you said, Adam, the number of guys who are able to put up just crazy per game stats, which I th- still think have something to do with uh, with the way that all-star voting ends up going, or even the way that coaches uh, end up picking players. I don't see it as an instant lock. It's probably going to be sweating it out like we did last year for Chris, for example, and seeing whether or not he's able to get in on the back end of the all-star roster. But, you know, so, so far, I think shout out to Eric. He, he fought through the rib injury. He's played really, really well. And, you know, if he if he didn't play well, like continue to not play well after the first couple of weeks, I think people will be losing their minds a lot more than they have. But he's playing at a high level, and that's making everything so much easier for the Bucks on both ends of the floor. Yeah, let me just say really quick. So I pulled up a uh, filter on NBA.com, Eastern Conference guards. I just filtered by points per game, which sadly seems like it's probably going to be a pretty big barometer. But yeah. um, so it goes: Bradley Beal, nearly thirty, and then it goes: Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Trey Young. Kemba Walker, Kyle Lowry, so all kind of guys that we think are going to make it. Um, and then it kind of hits a different line. So Zach Levine, like we said, 21.6 points per game. And then you had Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who they both classify as guards. And then Malcolm Brogdon, Devontae Graham for Charlotte. I don't think he's going to make it. I don't uh, think, no. Uh, <laughs> Derek Rose, Colin Sexton, Luke nope, Kennard. Nope, nope. Kendrick Nunn, who I nope. think could be a – I don't know. I think he could be a sleeper because people really like Miami's story this year. Um, Fred Van Vliet, Spencer Dinwiddie, and then Eric Bledsoe, who is tied with Jeremy Lamb in terms of points per game. And point one above Terry Rozier. Yeah, that's – really what you're, what you're hoping for is that the coaches – and I think it is slightly more nuanced than like the fan vote, for example, but yes. you just hope that coaches end up looking at his game as a whole because – as we know, I mean, he was first team all defense last year, right? Or was yeah. he second team? Yeah, so first, first team. team. And he, I think it's pretty safe to say he's played that pretty much a similar-ish level, especially once the injury seemed to kind of finally subside eventually for him. So I, I think your hope is, yes, maybe the offensive output, and I think he will increase it over these coming weeks, so maybe it won't look as drastic as it does now. But I think you're really hoping that coaches look more at the holistic approach that he has because yes he's important offensively but he's even more important as we saw those first couple of games where he wasn't necessarily blowing up picks like he was last year just teams were killing us in the mid-range and they still sort of are but it it hasn't felt nearly as prolific as it was early in the season I think a lot of that could be chalked up to the fact that he was not playing at 100% now that he is you could see the difference just I mean you know, the Bucks have ripped off however many wins, like seven wins and only lost one game. So they've gone seven and one since the start of the season. So I, I think all that kind of ties together to help strengthen this case. Yeah, I would cool. agree with that. All right. Um, let's all start. Make it happen. <laughs> uh, all right. In the uh, interest of time, we're going to we're going to skip that sort of check in at the early season mark. We'll take a look at that going forward. Um, but I, I think it's time for the uh, Wes Watched Watch uh, featuring Riley Feldman. 
All right, guys, I'm going to make this one pretty short and sweet this week because that's all it ever needs to be with Wes because there's really not a lot to talk about. He continues to have his worst three-point shooting season of his career. He's only shooting 32%, which I believe is – I think the last time we checked in, he was under – 30%. So shout out Wes. He is increasing a little bit here. Uh, I, I think as usual, the main issue is the fact that he's shooting poorly, but to go along with that poor outside shooting, he's also taking 70% of his shots from three, which is exactly what you're hoping for. Um, I think what'll be interesting to see is with Chris out, will he increase he being uh, Wesley Matthews, Will he increase his usage rate? And if he's able to increase it, does that help his game look a little bit better? Because right now, I'm not super impressed by the shot selection. I'm not super impressed by the three-point shooting. His defense has been okay, but he still seems like he gets absolutely blown away by any sort of average pick set by Cody Zeller. So I think there are reasons to be concerned still, but maybe he's not as washed. And I have in here as well, it's West, the title of the segments and it's a working title is West watch, watch, or how I learned to stop worrying about West and rag on Robin instead. But I don't even have much room to rag on Robin this week because he played like not awful against the bulls and he played not awful against the Pacers. So I think it's a big L for me this week, guys, because my two favorite punching bags, both of them played decently. And so they don't give me as much room to, really fire away so I don't, I don't know if you guys have takes on Wes or Robin or even Kyle because traffic cone Kyle out there really or Kyle Corver I should say not Kyle Carr we know Kyle Carr's not a traffic cone but Kyle Corver any takes on those three yeah uh let's go with Kyle Corver he was brought in to provide spot minutes of hitting three or four threes within a two minute span and until the playoffs start I don't think I'm gonna worry about that as much with Robin, I also was hating on him and ragging on him and saying he was terrible. So he had a decent week, and I'll give him props for that. And with Wes, it, I was hoping he have his revenge game yesterday. Uh, did not happen. It didn't happen. So <laughs> no, it did not. It, it certainly did not happen. George Hill also didn't have a revenge. No one had a revenge game. That was dumb. yeah. Robin didn't even play all that well against the Bulls either. Which you would have thought that was like the revenge game. I was expecting Robin to score at least like seven points but well yeah with Lori marketing guardian he should have had 20 but yeah well, it is what it is <laughs> beggars can't be choosers i guess so with all my stuff going on i i have admittedly not been able to pay quite as much attention to the bucks in the early season going as i usually would like to so i just wanted to get a brief uh, touch in here with, with each of you two because a lot of the hate has been directed towards of course west but i feel like robin lopez is getting just as much of it as well so uh, Kyle, let's start with you. What has bothered you most about uh, Robin Lopez to start the year? So I knew he wasn't going to be this offensive stalwart off the bench. I figured he wouldn't have been a defensive shutdown center, but I at least expected a Chicago Bulls version of Robin Lopez where he's still going to be a pain in the ass. He's still going to get in your way and contest a lot of shots and offensively hit some hook shots, but he just looks slow. I think that's my mm -hmm. biggest issue is he just looks significantly slower and I still hate the contract. And I think those are my two biggest issues. He looks slower. He's throwing, he's throwing up hook shots that don't look like they're going in any time it leaves his hand. Sometimes it does go in and good for him, but he just doesn't, he, he doesn't look, he just looks off and he looks weird and he looks slow. 
I think my biggest complaint, it's, well, so I wouldn't say that like my, how do I word this? It's probably not even like Robin himself. Yes, the contract definitely sucks. I mean, for sure, not great two years, but it's whatever. It's 5.5 million or like about 5 million each season, whatever. So not the end of the world. I think my worry more so, or my complaint more so is like the narrative around a lot of the players that came in the season. Let's go, oh, dude. He's going to, he's going to seamlessly fit in. He's going to be Brooke Lopez 2.0. And we're just going to freaking run teams off the floor whenever we're out there. And so far through whatever 12 games, that's clearly not the case. I think it's more so probably that he's being used incorrectly, especially offensively. Like the three point shot is just not there and they're still trying to force it now. Like shout out, he's made four threes. And so he's edging closer to making a career number of threes in a season, which last year was seven. So good for him. But it just feels like between him, not fully like grasping it's, it's not maybe not even grasping, but he's playing like, trying to overcompensate for his lack of speed by playing like really aggressively in the defensive scheme and getting, you know, blown up time after time and letting the roll guy kind of get easy shots at the basket and him getting used incorrectly offensively. And we kind of seen him move a little way uh, away from that a little bit where he's getting a lot more attempts in the post. But even then now I, now I realize why watching dudes play in the post is so boring. Cause it's like, Ooh, Ooh, is he, is he doing this right now? Okay. Uh, uh, hook shot. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe a win. It's just like really not aesthetically pleasing. Now he's probably more ideal doing that than he is posting up from three and then throwing off everybody's spacing. Cause he's just not a three point shooter right now. Um, so that's probably what annoys me the most is like everybody had these expectations for what he was going to be. I never really bought into it, but the fact that it seems between everyone's expectations and whatever Bud is trying to get out of him, he's just not being put in the right positions. And he seems to be rounding a little bit into form, like not nearly as bad, but I'm, I'm still not super impressed, especially when so far the biggest defense of him is like, dude, he's going to be so good against Joel Embiid. Like, really? You don't think Joel Embiid's going to put 45 and whatever, 16 on him if he's out there? I think it's going to look ugly when he's out there. But those are my biggest issues with him so far. I appreciate the... Uh informative takes from both you on Robin Lopez. I actually was interested to hear that. So I appreciate that. Uh, well, we'll end our, our washed veteran segment here and uh, move on instead to the rapid fire question segment, which uh, Kyle Carr has not given us any inclination as to what he's going to ask us, but he's going to lead it. Yeah. So it's for anyone that wasn't listening to last week's episode, we're just going to fire random questions that vary throughout different topics and they're just going to answer them. That's pretty much it. It's pretty simple. So the first one I have is, if you could choose to live in another country, what would it be? Germany. Spain. Okay. I would have gone with Portugal or Antigua. Shout out the whole island. But those are Spain would be an interesting one. Where in Spain, Adam? I guess that would be my follow-up. Um, I where, where I went last year was... Uh really beautiful like it was like the central part of spain uh, among all these crazy mountains met met a woman at a bar there who like worked at the bar and was like i can't wait to go to the new world talking about america um and i just thought it was a fascinating place i thought for okay. sure that story was going to take a turn like woman at the bar was a huge bucks fan i thought for sure <laughs> that was the <laughs> no sadly no all right riley what about you where in germany <sighs> that's a really good question so First off, my second language is German, and that limits to be like three countries, and Switzerland doesn't count because Swiss German is totally different from everybody else's German, and it's really expensive to live there. 
probably I, I really liked Cologne. It's a really it's not picturesque, but it's definitely a different vibe from southern Germany. So I would go for Cologne, which is in the uh, northwest part of the country. Okay, nice. All right. So next question. Favorite Disney or Pixar movie? Adam. Uh, Ratatouille. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Mulan animated yet to be TBD on the live action version. Okay. Okay. Solid. Um, song or artist that you have been listening to lately? The artist is Caro Caro Benito, which is a indie pop band from the UK. Uh, warning there, the music might not be for you, but I really enjoy it. That's who's <laughs> on top of my uh, playlist right now. Oh, I've been revisiting a lot of uh, Taylor Swift's old stuff as I never yes. listened to it before. Uh, especially, I especially enjoy the um, live album she recorded from her 2011 tour. Some real good tracks on there. I think we need to get Wes Matthews to listen to 22 a little bit more just so he gets into the mindset <laughs> of like he was a younger player and maybe that'll improve as well. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sorry, Matthews. sorry, Wes. I'm sorry, everybody. I should, I'll stop bragging on Wes now. I'll stop. All right. All right. Uh, if you can choose to have a superpower, what would it be? Uh, invisibility. Yeah, ditto. Okay. Okay. To be uh, honest, or iPhone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, team Android. Uh, only because I'm too poor to afford Team Apple, so Team Android. Uh, team iPhone, because um, it's I just keep buying them. Yeah, I'm also Team iPhone because everything I have is a Mac or some Apple product, so it's just easier for me to integrate everything. All right, and the last one: favorite shoe brand. Ew, oh, uh, for what circumstance? Just like in general general uh i'll go with asics just because i spent a lot of time running and as much as i love sneakers i'm kind of sneaker agnostic when it comes to the uh the brand so probably asics because they prevented me from tearing my acl multiple times while running so shout out asics yeah i'm not a huge sneakerhead either but uh, lately i've really enjoyed uh reeboks i kind of like the little reebok little flag they have on their shoe so uh i'd say reebok okay yeah i would go nike just because I can always find a shoe that's my size that looks good, which is really difficult for a size 13. So shout out Nike. I'm All waiting right. for I'm waiting for when I can upgrade to the New Balances, the uh, the Midwestern Dad New Balances, the all white with the navy uh, <laughs> accents. That's my next move in terms of sneaker uh, sneaker collection. So keep an eye out, guys. I'll post some pictures on the social media whenever I upgrade to that. <laughs> glimpsed into Riley's life and his aspirations. Uh, let, let's move on to Kyle, your weekly, now weekly segment, I guess, uh, Kyle's film review. Yes. So for anyone that's <laughs> under a rock, Disney plus the street, the new streaming overlord of our country and society was released. And I got to say, I would highly recommend it. It's got everything for everyone. You got children, they got Mickey Mouse and all those children's shows. You're nostalgic about the 90s, they have the 90s movies, the animated. If you were a Disney Channel fan, they had like Lizzie McGuire, which according to Emma, did, does not age well. So just a fair warning on that. Shocker on that one. Who would have guessed on that? But yeah, so stuff like Lizzie McGuire, Even Stevens, uh, Kim Possible, um, you can watch those. If you are a superhero nerd like myself, you can watch the Marvel comic book movies and also the old school cartoons like Spider-Man and X-Men. 
Um, if you're a Star Wars fan, like myself as well, you can watch the Star Wars movies. You can watch the Clone Wars, Rebels, and their new series, The Mandalorian, which is fantastic. And I think the best thing Disney has done was Star Wars. And if you want, and if you are a big high school musical person, they have a like a mockumentary of it as well. It's just got everything for everyone. Um, it's only, I think, like six or seven dollars for just Disney Plus. But if you have Hulu and ESPN Plus, you can bundle it and what I would 100% recommend it because it really does have everything for everyone. Um, so that's why I've been binging on the last 48 hours by the time you listen to this. I'm going to follow up with one quick question before we move on to predicting the week. If you could choose one high school musical song, what, what would be your number one, guys? Breaking Free, by far. Yeah, it's tough to top Breaking Free. Or what, the the two solos, the one solo by Zac Efron in the second movie where... Uh, He's dramatically walking around the golf court, or the one by. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> or the or the one. What's the name of the uh, blonde actress? The um. Oh um. um Ashley Tisdale. Yeah. Yes, her her solo in the second one, or her duet with her brother in there. Those two in the second movie, both of them are very good. I'm quite a fan of those as well. I particularly remember hating the get you get you get you get your head in the game, which I yeah, think was yes. the uh, baseball one. I, I watched the second one live. I remember on my own. And even at a young age, I thought it sucked. Uh, wow. I just was not a big fan of it. And um, Get Your Head in the Game, I thought, stood out as one of the worst ones they had. So uh, that one. Wow, this turned into Adam's movie review this week. <laughs> I, I was not a high school. I like musicals in general. I just didn't like high school musical that much. So Yeah, I was going to say, I am a big musical person. So I, I think the one song I didn't like is the start of something new. I was not a fan of it. And I said it last night to Emma. I was like, it's still not that great in my opinion, but yeah, high school musical number one song is breaking free and bop to the top is a very strong number two. Totally fair. Uh, Ed, uh, okay. So one more thing in the potpourri section here for you guys is I probably should have brought this up when we were actually talking about the sport itself. Uh, <laughs> total, total 180 and shift. How do you guys feel about Bud taking the starters out like halfway through the first and going the all sub lineup? Do you care? Do you think it's something that'll keep throughout the season? I know this is totally it different from terrible. Disney Plus. It, it does look awful. terrible. But I should note that Dean Maniat, aka at all the Bucks, uh, he came in and totally dunked all over me on Twitter when I complained about it. Uh, apparently, the all sub lineups, at least when he tweeted, have a plus nineteen net rating. So the stats say that it works, but I don't know if. You guys have any feelings about that? That was just something else that was kind of bothering me, and I think it's a topic that a lot of people talk about throughout the at least early part of the season so far. Yeah, the, so I was I was looking at that because I'm glad Dean dunked on you because um, I had thought <laughs> me too. Me too. I, I had thought the exact same thing multiple times, and I'm glad that you got the dunk dunking on as opposed <laughs> to me. Um, well, so I'm looking at cleaning the glass, and there's the lineup with George Hill, Dante Divincenzo, Sterling Brown, Urson, and Robin. That's there's a plus twenty point differential, and then there's oh one with God. Hill. Hill, Connaughton, Brown, Ilyasova, and Lopez. That has a minus 6.3. So that you you can sort of pick and choose your super sub lineup. I don't think it's any – it's not a surprise that the one with Dante is plus so much. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But uh, they also have 32 and 29 possessions, so um, incredibly small sample sizes. I guess for me, I'm just not seeing that really translate in the – playoffs i just like can't really even envision a scenario where bud puts that out and it actually works out for us um but i don't know maybe maybe he's on to some sort of scenario where like robin is actually able to 
work inside and he works in that lineup because all the other guys, none of them really are going to go inside. Uh, and if they do drive to the rim, it might be George Hill or it could be Dante and everyone else are like true spacers. So I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Yeah, I kind of wonder if it's both like one, a uh, minute saving tactic to make sure that he's not running the starters too much. And two, as we talked throughout the early part of the season, figuring out what we have and everybody else. And so that's it's a little bit more difficult now that Dante's in the starting unit. But I, I do find it interesting that he keeps kind of going, you know, again, you said small sample size. But I wonder if he's also trying to figure out like what exactly he has on hand if you like run all subs, which is a difficult environment for somebody to kind of shine. But, you know, if you're going to get a chance at possessions, it's going to be easier for a guy like Dante or Sterling to do so when he's out there with like Robin and Urson and George, for example. So it, I just it's really not aesthetically pleasing, but if there's some sort of longer game to it, I'm willing to accept it. And uh, I'll try not to let Dean dunk on me too much more the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on that, that super sub lineup, Kyle, it sounds like you are, are probably similar to Riley. Yeah. I tweeted it last night, but the stats say it's good, but it still looks awful. I, and maybe it's just because the other team also goes with the bench. Lineup, yeah, so yep, two that's bad it. lineups going against each other and they're just breaking shots left and right but i i don't like it but i understand especially with chris being injured you can't you don't want to stay or too too much and you don't want to overload Giannis and eric but yeah those bench lineups are pretty well if there's one thing we know about bud it's that we'll probably get to keep seeing that bench lineup uh for the next <laughs> foreseeable future so there's four opportunities this next week to see that bench lineup uh at chicago on monday at atlanta on wednesday home and then the bucks uh, come home to face portland and then uh, detroit otherwise known as bucks east on saturday uh so what what do you what do you guys have riley for your prediction for the bucks record this week this is going to be really out uh, out of character i'm going to go three and one and the loss will come i wonder if it'll come at atlanta like I'd, i would have to look at what trey young's shooting stats look like like he feel just the tear that he's on and that'll be the final game and the quick little Eastern Conference road trip. I don't know if they ended up coming back to Milwaukee. I'd have to consult our own Andrew Goodman on what their flight situation looks like. But it would not be surprising if they, at the end of the little road trip, lost against an Atlanta team that's better than anybody expected, but still not that great. And then Portland's kind of struggling and Detroit, I mean, you know, we'll know exactly how to play Tony Snell and Thon Maker and Christian Wood and every other Bucks player that's on that roster. So I expect three and one loss against Atlanta. Yeah, I'm also going three and one. And I kind of wonder with the Atlanta Portland back to back, if Bob is going to load manage a little bit, whether he doesn't play Eric Bledsoe as much or doesn't play Giannis. So I I have a weird feeling, kind of like what Riley said, that Atlanta game, whether it's Trey Young just going off and scoring 40 points or Jabari Parker scoring 30. It's, it feels like it's going to be one. Last year, the Bucks nearly beat them with an all-bench lineup. But I think Atlanta is definitely better than people may expect. And I, yeah, I just don't feel great about it because I think there's going to be some load management and coming on a road trip. I'm going to go 3-1, lose Atlanta as well. Uh, the load management is a great call, Kyle, and probably would be the reason that they might have a hiccup and screw up my 4-0 prediction. I think uh, Chicago sucks. I think Detroit sucks. Uh, I think Atlanta, there's a potential. I think Giannis is going to destroy Jabari Parker. 
And I think Portland has not been very good to start the year. They just signed Carmelo Anthony. Uh, oh, and, yeah, that might be the Carmelo debut game. That would be kind of that would be fun. Yeah, Carmelo I, goes for fifteen off of twenty-five shots. <laughs> what an amazing game! That I would just be. don't. I just don't think any of these teams are that good, and I think uh, the Bucks should should win all these games. Uh, so four zero. Nice. Yeah. So cool. sort of outside my usual uh, more stayed prediction. Yeah, so, somebody's got rose-colored glasses from getting married, right, Kyle? Huh? <laughs> Let yeah, check out this guy. <laughs> Uh, well, and with that barb uh, out of the way, uh, we are going to call this a podcast. Uh, thank you to you guys, Kyle, Riley, Andrew, for filling in while I was gone. It was really, really helpful to help me kind of deal with all the stuff that was going on in my life, which was all great stuff. I had an amazing time, uh, but it's always fun to be back and get to pay a little bit more attention to the Bucks and fun to be back on the pod. So make sure to like, subscribe, share with all your friends, uh, review us on iTunes if you can. Check out all our stuff on, on brewhoop.com. Uh, we'll have Riley's uh, Monday morning media roundup, usual recaps. Um, Brian always has some great observations going up on the site. And uh, Mitchell will come in from the top rope with some sort of big picture view that's always insightful and good. So make sure to go to brewhoop.com, like, subscribe, share with your friends, and we'll talk to you again. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. <laughs>